I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. We are on. We're live. Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about discovering your neurodivergent in adulthood. My name is Jordan Lane. And I'm Robbie McDonald. And with us today is our guest, Ms. Carling Middlestead. Carling, hello. Hello. Carling is a friend of mine uh, uh, that I've known since high school. She does a podcast called I Did Not Sign Up For This. And um, yeah, you know what? It, it's interesting because Carling and I, I, I don't think we knew each other really super well in high school. We certainly knew no. who each other were, but I wouldn't say that we were friends. Um, but yeah, what, what kind of led me to get back in contact was uh, Carling's podcast. It's uh, it's a really, really great uh, a series of conversations about what can be really sensitive subjects. It, it's, it talks about, you know, life-changing events for people, and a lot of it is very sad, a lot of it is very joyous, and it's really... I think it really does an excellent job of capturing, you know, the kind of scope of the human experience, not to sound too corny about it. Um, but yeah, so, so, so what I, what I kind of, I, I, I turned to you at the time because I was like, you guys do such an excellent job of interviewing people about sensitive material in a way that really kind of honors that and values their story. And uh, Robbie and I talked a lot last episode about how, uh, how my thoughts about kind of sharing your story and your pain have changed over the years. But uh, yeah, you, you and Michelle, your, your former co-hosts were really people that I looked to to be like, these people know how to do it right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, mm. so I wanted to thank you for kind of like being integral to our podcast launching in a way because you gave us a, a lot of really good thoughts on how to handle these kind of discussions. So, Oh, gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. So, so yeah, uh, I figured we could uh, we could start with you, um, you know, telling us about your show about I did not sign up for this a little bit, and then we can kind of dive into the background a bit more of you figuring out that you had ADHD and what that process looked like and how your life has changed since learning that. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I think you talked about my podcast much more eloquently than I ever do. Uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, I interview everyday people with interesting stories. And, you know, my tagline is that no topic is off limits because I think that no matter what the story, I get a lot of people that think, oh, my story will be too boring. Nobody is interested in that. But I think those are the stories that people hear and they think, oh, my God, I didn't know that somebody else also, you know, they see them. It's important to see yourself in stories. Mm. And so, yeah, that's that's what I do. I just find everyday people and I am fascinated by people's lived experiences. So that is what I do. And then my journey with ADHD is I've only been officially diagnosed for, I think, maybe three years. But as I think with a lot of people, hindsight is very 2020. And I can look back to, you know, being a young kid and having so many clear symptoms that we know now are ADHD in uh, mostly females or often in females that get missed because I wasn't the, you know, super hyper, super running around crazy kid that you maybe think or that we thought back then. 
was what ADHD was, but rather, I don't know, I was really like sensitive and distracted. And Hmm. um, I had a lot of like sensory things that I didn't understand. And yeah, it, it all makes sense now, now that I've been diagnosed. And you know, my diagnosis came first from my therapist, my psychologist. I was talking about, first of all, I like love therapy. It's my, I, I'd go every day if I could. And <laughs> I, you know, would talk about all of these things. And after a while, she asked if I had ever considered or been told that maybe I have ADHD. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Cause I, I don't know. I just didn't think that it was me. And she had me fill out like a questionnaire and it was, you know, off the charts. Like, do you have a hard time not interrupting people? Do you like want to blurt out things, even if it's not on topic? And do you hyper fixate <laughs> on projects? And, you know, and, 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 and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and so I went to my, my medical doctor and, you know, explained what my what my counselor said. And he gave me another similar form to fill out. And he was like, yeah, you're you're pretty like on this scale. And so, you know, he asked if I wanted medication. I kind of hummed and hawed about it because I sort of, I I don't know, sometimes I, I overthink and I think like, oh, I don't want to be over medicated, but um, I decided to give it a go. And I will say my first it was a very low dose and I took it and I was so nervous and I didn't know what to expect. And I had a meeting that morning at work. And I think literally for the first time in my whole life, I could hear everybody in the room. I was like fully present. I was looking around and was like, oh my God, I can, I know what everybody's saying. And I was like staying focused through the whole meeting. And I had never ever experienced that in my whole life, in my 30-some years of life. And I was telling a colleague, I'm like, is this what it's like for you every time you're in a meeting? And she was, <laughs> oh she was like, God. yeah. Like, this. what do you mean? I was like, everything is so quiet in my head. And it was a game changer. Hmm. Wow. So are you still uh, on medication today? Yeah, I do take medication. I find... The thing that I don't like, and I I don't know enough about like medications, is I feel that I'm almost too used to it, and then but mm-hmm. I'm hesitant to just always be increasing my dose. Sure. So it's I don't know what's considered a good dose, but I'm on whatever dose I'm on. But I also use a lot of like life tactics and coping skills to stay focused, and and I'm kind of just learning ways to embrace it because. I think it it does really suit me and it suits, you know, the career choices that I've made and all of this. Mm. So you don't feel that, um, and because I recently stopped taking my medication after finding that I just felt tense and angry all the time um, with that particular, oh. the kind that I was taking. And I finally made the connection that that was that's what it was. And I also felt that my creativity was diminished. Um, Mm. I could focus and I could get a lot of things done. um, But and it really helped with impulse control for me. Mm. So I would actually buy what I set out to get at the grocery store. And I wasn't (laughs) doing the uh, Descartes therapy so much online, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was a real problem for me in the beginning of the pandemic. But um, yeah, I think that's really interesting how you say you can be in a meeting and everything's quiet and you can hear everyone. Because I, I st- always have struggled with that, especially if there's crosstalk. Yeah. I'm lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just zone out and start thinking about 
whatever else I is more interesting than the meeting. <laughs> Which is usually many, many things. Yeah. <laughs> De- yeah depending on where you work, things. though, I don't know where you work. So um, if your meetings might actually be dynamic and interesting and necessary. Yeah. Yeah, they can be, but it's a struggle. <laughs> I wanted to um, go back for a sec to to kind of talking about like your your reluctance to initially um, kind of start medication uh, because I think that there's some of that obviously this is like we all have our own beliefs about about uh, you know the medical industry and blah 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 um, mm-hmm. but I'm curious how much if any of that stuff is down to kind of like the stereotypes that society has about stimulant medication and about Mm -hmm. ADHD people. And like, even though we know it like very in in a very real manner that like this will help us and it's not, it's not the same as, as taking speed or whatever, because our brains process this stuff differently than, than a neurotypical person. Yeah, a neurotypical person's brain. Um, and, and yeah, and so like for me, I know that a lot of that kind of like there there is uh, a lot of shame around stimulant medication and things in addition to the shame that already comes along with having ADHD symptoms. So it's kind of like, well, gee, society, which do you want? Like, do you want me to fucking yeah. shut up or do you want me to like be off drugs? <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of curious about like your your thoughts on, on, I guess, like some of the perceptions about medication and about ADHD. Yeah, I think, you know, growing up my, uh, well, caveat, my dad was married six times. And so one of my stepsisters from one of his earlier marriages um, had ADHD, was not medicated, and I remember, I mean, I was young and naive and, you know, a preteen, but I remember just thinking it was an excuse for her bad behavior was mm. this label. And then, you know, as more information came out, more science, more, you know, general knowledge about it. And before I was diagnosed with it, I still thought, well, medicating it is just I don't know, like, an, not an excuse, but I don't know how to articulate it. Uh, a crutch? It, yeah, like a crutch mm. or I don't know. And so in my mind, like if somebody's kid had ADHD, I'd be like, well, I mean, like, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. I'd be like, well, I wouldn't want my kid on medication. But like, what if they had diabetes, would I be like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't give my kid insulin. Like, you know, our whole goal in life is to, you know, like be part of society and a contributing member in whatever capacity that is. And if this is something that helps us, if we lived in a society where, you know, it wasn't so structured and you weren't required to be so part of the herd, maybe Hmm. we wouldn't need it. And maybe that would be great. And we would all, you know, thrive in different ways. And I do think maybe the pandemic has helped that in the sense of, shifting how we think about workspace and workday and productivity. And I think that's actually maybe been helpful for people to rethink some of those ideas. Absolutely. That's something that Jordan and I were just briefly chatting about before we hopped on the call is how I'm trying to structure my life now to a three to four day work week. Mm. Because I realized like that's my capacity. I can perform and be articulate and write and do all kinds of things to a point. And then I turn into jello by Friday. And so it's like, please don't book a meeting with me at 3 p.m. on Friday. Like nothing good is <laughs> oh, going to no. come of this, right? That should be a law just in but, general. 
Yeah, Friday, no meetings. No meetings on no. Friday. Um, or at lunch. Or yeah. too early in the morning. Or too late yes. in the day. Or on the weekends. Anyway. Like a um, solid be- like 10 a.m. meeting Monday to Thursday. That's, I think, the best time. <laughs> yes, yeah. There should be meeting windows, right? Yeah. Um, and I recently had to start using Teams again for a project. And I'm horrified because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working a job that was not a good fit for me. And that, that bing, 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 bing oh, is like God. a trauma trigger for me now. Yes. <laughs> I can't even cope with it. Um, but yeah. I just think it's it's so interesting what you say about how um, when you have ADHD, you're you're kind of thinking like you have to be part of the herd, right? Instead of celebrating the difference and the uniqueness of what it means mm-hmm. to have a brain that works differently. Um, and I think that there is lots of opportunity for us to try to do things in innovative ways, right? Um, yeah. But it's it's slow going, especially if you're in a traditional um, work structure or in a school structure where you're expected to sit still for how many yeah. hours at a day? Like, <laughs> like too many. Way too many hours. Way too many hours. Yeah. yeah. My stepson was just diagnosed with ADHD. He's nine. And the we changed his school and we chose a school that's still part of the public school system, but it's considered alternative. And all that allows them to do is that it's a smaller class size and mm-hmm. something as simple as they teach them self-advocacy. And if you're hungry and it's not, you know, quote unquote, break time or snack time, just go and get yourself some food like you're mm. allowed to. Because what was happening is he was, res- you know, resisting the urge to talk and act out, you know, for how many hours. And then snack time came and he had to choose between eating and talking with his friends. And he'd been holding mm. it all in. So he would just talk with his friends and not eat because they only have 15 minutes. And then by lunchtime. You know, his blood sugar was crashed because he hasn't eaten. And now he's losing it, blowing his top off because he's, you know, been trying to hold it in for so long and also not eating and all this stuff. And so just something as simple as if you're hungry, just go and get a, a snack and bring it back to your desk and eat it. And like even that, taking that, you know, bit of structure that is required in schools for some reason, I don't know that I buy it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, is so simple. And that's just like the tiniest little adjustment that has made all of the difference or wiggle chairs or, you know, like fidget toys. I have a fidget toy right here that I Mm. have to have right by me to record because I'm going to lose focus and I'm going to need to do something with my hands. (laughs) Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier about like, you know, um, a a parent would have no problem accepting that their kid needs medication for diabetes. And it's just you've touched on something that is so interesting to me where it's like, of course, doctors know best. Of course, doctors know best right up until it's like. Well, hang on, though. I heard this thing on Facebook <laughs> and then all of a sudden parents know best. Yeah. I, I think I just I just think it's it's very funny. Um, so a, a couple of things I was curious about. Um, number one, uh, I've listened to a number of episodes of your show, but I haven't heard the whole catalog. Have you actually told your ADHD story on the show? No, I actually haven't. And like, I don't know why. I just I don't know. Maybe I don't think it's as interesting as somebody else might. But I guess I'm preaching 
my own message is that, you know, <laughs> every story is interesting. <laughs> no, I, I was um, just curious because Robbie asked earlier and I, I realized I didn't know, but I was fairly certain that like, I, I feel like I would have at least seen a, see that in an episode title and, and made sure to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe I will. I do. I So I have a Patreon and I tend to keep my own life traumas and stories over on Patreon. Just Makes it sense. was a choice that I made. So maybe I'll save it for the Patreon. Interesting. That's a cool and, thought. Yeah. Anybody mm-hmm. else can come here to listen to it. And then um, the other thing I wanted to double back to was uh, uh, you mentioned that, you know, uh, you, you talked about how ADHD and, and figuring this out has kind of um, not, I, I guess, affected in some way kind of your your choice of career path and things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you if you're willing to talk about that a little bit, because obviously you make some uh, amount of money off the podcast, but I assume that's not your your whole bread and butter. So what oh, else do you do? Oh, God, help me. I wish. Although I do <laughs> love my job. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I, I go back to like high school and I everything I loved was sort of like I wanted to be a famous actor and I wanted to be. You know, all these things that I wanted to do, but, you know, maybe more of the academic things that I wanted to do. I wanted to study like language and international business and the thing, the parts of it that I was really interested in, I really thrived in. And then I found out I needed pre-calculus and I was like, okay, well, there goes that (laughs) because, you know, I can learn languages really quickly and I can, you know, retain a lot of information until it's pre-calculus, like I barely got through math um, because it's not interesting to me. And, you know, one thing that I all, so we had like um, student-led awards in high school. I don't know if you remember this, Jordan, but uh, so I won, the year I graduated, I won the party planning award because (laughs) I turned 18 first and um, one of my (laughs) friends had like a, her condo where she lived had like a social room. And so we would always like plan these parties and... So then I thought, oh, I should be a wedding planner. And then I went to school for, so I ended up going to college for event management. Mm. Um, And I kind of found myself just ending up in jobs that were really fast paced, quick moving, you know, variety changing. Um, Yeah. And I, and so, and so to this day, now I work for uh, the zoo and Mm. I do event management and I plan and help sell like event space. And, you know, it, it really, I'm very fortunate because it really suits ADHD in that Mm. there's a lot of things happening right down to the wire. Things change very last minute. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, there's deadlines and you can really like work to the deadline, which is what I need. You know, don't give me some far off dreamy (laughs) concept of a deadline. I won't do it until Yep. minutes before mm-hmm. and I'll thrive at it. I'll do it very well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been a career path that's really allowed me to, you know, I think as a person, I don't know if it's like childhood trauma personality, but I'm very detail oriented and I'm very um, like, I like lists and I like, you know, maybe those were early coping skills that I didn't realize what I was doing, but all of that really suits me and those are a lot of aspects of event planning and then that sort of you know day of you're you know you look like a duck on the surface of the water but underneath your Mm -hmm. feet are just running because things are changing and you know you weren't expecting that and all these things are happening so yeah I think I'm really fortunate to have landed in the jobs that I've had because it's really worked well for my ADHD brain. 
Mm. And do you find when you're in that event space too, and when it's happening, that it's almost like the film Everything Everywhere All at Once, like you know, every conversation, every potential disruption, every single thing that's going on in that room. And yeah, yeah like you said, it's like the it's the duck thing, because I've done events myself. And yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm cool and calm. But I know, there's somebody over there that needs something and I got to go take care of that, right? Yeah, yeah, I call it my friends and family lovingly call it like event carling. Like I think I'm, <laughs> I'm actually maybe quite shy and introverted. But like, you know, I think podcasting carling and event carling are very similar where I suddenly mm. like turn on and I'm, you know, pointing and waving and smiling <laughs> and laughing. And I'm like, the you know, making jokes and all this stuff. And then I just crash after mm. it is overstimulating. And I love every minute of it. But then I just need to like, hide in a dark corner. Yep. And not talk to anybody. <laughs> I feel that 100%. Um, so uh, along those lines, like, so I, I'm i also the same way. I'm I'm generally like a fairly, uh, uh, introverted is maybe the wrong word, but I'm definitely like, I keep to myself. I spend most of my time alone. Um, but yeah, like it, it is it is very easy for me and I enjoy it when I get to turn it on uh, for a couple hours. Like I love, I love teaching. I teach improv like a couple times a week, usually, um, and, but same thing, like, like it is, it is draining though. Yesterday I did, mm -hmm. uh, uh, two classes back to back. I did an adult class and then a high school class. And yeah, and I just, I just, I got invited out after and I was like, nope, I'm going home <laughs> and I'm going to go and sit on the couch and play video games. And that was yes. what I did. Cause it's just like, I've talked enough today. I've, I've smiled enough today. Mm -hmm. And that's, those aren't bad or, or difficult things for me, but it is, it is a lot of energy. Um, yeah. and then as an addendum to that, I find it funny, Carling, that we, that I didn't know that you were involved in the zoo stuff because I've actually been uh, an improviser for hire at some of the zoo events before. So oh. it's very funny that we haven't run into each other in some capacity yet. So yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. There's mo there's like a whole team of people that you've probably worked with that do those like public events mm -hmm. and those like public ticketed events. I more do like the weddings, the birthdays, ah, the, gotcha. the corporate. Yeah. But yeah, Makes that's sense. really, that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Did you say the zoo? Yeah. Oh, the Calgary Zoo. Okay. So yeah, I used yeah. to love going to like the events when you could have cocktails and walk around, look at oh, the animals yeah. and stuff. That, yeah. was my, oh, that was so much fun. So fun. Yeah. Yeah, we did, a, we did a murder mystery thing there a while ago. So I had to pretend to be an ice cream scooper and, and give the same monologue every 20 minutes <laughs> for the night. It was fun. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, so I, I guess uh, I guess would you like to um, tell me a little bit more about kind of I guess how your perception on your life and and your understanding of yourself has changed since realizing that you have ADHD? Yeah, I think when I realized that, you know, if you break it down for me, the way I understand it is ADHD is a lack of enough dopamine. And dopamine is the thing that excites you when you do a thing, the reward system. Of, and that's why you can continually do the thing. Um, and so when I look back, I can see so many patterns of like, oh, yeah, that just didn't interest me like math. And so I just like I could not even make myself do it. You know, and there's a lot of, um, I don't know, I just look at my life in a way where I'm maybe a little more forgiving about things like, you know, I, I struggle with weight and my body size and in, you know, but I also recognize that, you know, weight gain and and binge eating can also be a really big factor for ADHD because, 
it literally just fills me with dopamine when I'm eating something delicious. And if I've had a lack of that in my day, you know, that's where my brain has learned to go. Um, and it's made me a bit more forgiving in things like the reason I take the laundry out of the laundry hamper, spread it all over the bed, find the two <laughs> things I need, put it back in the laundry hamper, and then the next day do it over again, rather than just putting the goddamn laundry away. It's because my brain doesn't see any sort of reward associated with this task. And so I just won't do it. And so I'm like a bit more forgiving with myself in that capacity. And I tend to also try to be uh, maybe more like thankful or I think of it as my superpower that, you know, I wish I could just have somebody film me for a whole day as I move through the house when I'm home alone because mm. the amount of things I can get done in a short amount of time is unreal. Like it's <laughs> truly mm -hmm. a work of art. The amount of like I can clean the house from top to bottom while multitasking and doing all these things and that just like feeds my brain, you know, in the best way. And so mm -hmm. rather than trying to conform to maybe the way, I don't know, that a neurotypical person would, I kind of I've learned to enjoy it and I've learned to be like, yeah, this really works for me. And it's pretty impressive that I can get so many things done, you know, when you neurotypical folk out there like my partner, <laughs> you know, she she literally does like one task at a time and like just moves from one task completes it and i'm like you're moving so slow and i'm just like <laughs> ricocheting all through the house like multitasking getting 55 things done i don't know which one is better but you know i've learned to kind of embrace it and laugh at it mm. yeah, they're, yeah they're both just kind of different sorry robbie go ahead well you know jordan was um asking you like some of the things that you've learned since discovering it and it just kind of jogged my memory about a conversation you were having on your podcast with a dog trainer and you were talking oh, about yeah. grief yeah. and how in our world like we don't in western society we just don't give ourselves enough space and time for grieving and i'm just curious if when you got diagnosed you had a, a feeling of grief around it like oh could my life have been different had i known about these things? Could I have had success in other areas? Like maybe figuring out math, not that math's all but exciting, but you know, <laughs> you, know, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. I think I, instead of a grief, I think I struggle with being frustrated with teachers, my parents, like the adults in my life for not, not like advocating for me or finding out what it was sooner. You know, I think, you know, even to this day, like my mom just thinks everyone's diagnosed with ADHD and doctors are just slapping labels on everything. And, you know, that's mm -hmm. so invalidating to me, mm -hmm. but also not unexpected from that <laughs> dynamic of relationship. And, you know, so I think I don't think I, I think it's more like I feel profoundly disappointed. It's one more layer of disappointment I feel from the adults in my life that were supposed to advocate for me and lift me up and help me find success. You know, mm -hmm. like one of the things, maybe it's ADHD, I don't know, but like if I'm not instantly the best at something, I'm probably oh never going to do it again. Oh my God. Like I tried baseball <laughs> with a friend and like in my 20s and like if I was not instantly going to some female baseball league the next day, <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that like that doesn't serve me as a human. And it's a miracle that I've been podcasting for three years <laughs> mm -hmm. because somehow it's like my hyper fixation that seems to stick. Um, but like there are so many things that 
you know, like I remember trying ballet and I wasn't good at it and I refused to go. But like I was six. So maybe you should Mm -hmm. have made me go, you know, and like I just think like there was a lack of advocacy or a lack of, you know, I, I say to my partner a lot about, you know, this this behavior that we're seeing is not going to serve this child as an adult. And we need to help them Mm -hmm. realize that, you know, whatever this is, you know, looking at it from a different way, because, you know, I didn't get that. I think my parents were just like, well, she doesn't like it. Well, she doesn't like this, you Mm -hmm. know, and just let me go on my way rather than maybe, yeah, just standing up and and teaching me a better way. So I think it's more it comes from like a disappointment for the others that were responsible for raising me as a human rather than, I don't know, like a grief about what could have been. I don't know if that answers your Mm. question. No, absolutely it does. Because I had this strange dynamic with my family about it as well. My mother's pretty convinced she has ADHD in her 80s. She's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, But I think it was like her whole perspective on it is like, oh, it was only, she was an educator in the 70s. And she was like, well, it was just, we were just learning that little hyper little boys, that was ADHD. Mm -hmm. But it just didn't, quote, happen to you know, gender appearing little girls, right? So yeah, yeah, it's just kind of um, interesting that, yeah, there's still that kind of simmering bubble of like, why didn't you advocate more for me? So that's really cool that you pointed to that beyond, beyond the what if, but it's like, oh, it could have been done differently. Yeah. And I, I mean, if we want, I don't know, this is like maybe a can of worms, but I often think Mm. about, so I, I share my story about coming out. I've been on a couple podcasts about it as a lesbian and I do wonder, I call it the straight agenda. Maybe it's controversial. But I think like as soon as I was born and they were like, it's a girl, I was given this checklist of what success would look like and Mm. how to be celebrated by family, friends, society. And I, you know, I think I, I don't know why, but for some reason I was like not the favorite child in my family. I was the youngest and I was often overlooked and ignored. Maybe because I had ADHD, I was annoying. I don't know. (laughs) But I often (laughs) wonder, you know, the only time that I got uh, praise, acceptance, um, encouragement, attention was when I would like check off this list and all I wanted to do was fit in and feel community. And so... You know, Mm -hmm. when it came to like choosing dating and marriage and all this stuff, the second I was dating a guy, I was suddenly, you know, my dad was excited to hang out with me and that's all I wanted. And then as soon as I got engaged, you know, the droves of family that were suddenly messaging me that I had craved their attention my whole life, you know, and now that we're wedding planning and now we're and I'm just checking these boxes and getting this dopamine hit of like all this, you know, celebration and the whole time I'm like, oh, I'm so not into this, but I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting what I'm craving out of it. And, you know, so I, you know, maybe that's a dopamine thing. Maybe that's a who knows what thing. But I think if we just like, I don't know, like let people celebrate people for like who they are and what they want and what they're doing and you know, be less focused on like this strict, like, how do you be part of the herd, the society, like sitting in a desk in class for six hours a day and only eating at snack time and only, you know, and it just carries on. And I can sort of see this, this path of like, when I, when we celebrate people and when we sort of say, "Mm, that doesn't really suit us, Mm -hmm. 
And I think, you know, I think that can have a lot to do with ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, it's really interesting. Cause like on the one hand, I can completely understand what you, what you're saying and, and that feeling of like, um, yeah, uh, uh, disappointment in, I guess, both the adults in your life and the structures in your life for kind of like not noticing this stuff. Um, and, and specifically you said something about feeling like maybe you weren't getting pushed enough. And that's something, there's one specific instance that I come back to in my life, which is piano lessons. Uh, so I, I'm a drummer. I'm a pretty good drummer. Uh, I took a little bit of piano and I just did not like it. I hated practicing. I hated trying to read music, blah, 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 blah. And my parents very understandably were like, okay, well, you don't have to do piano anymore then. And that's, that's one where I'm like, gosh, you know, I really do, as an adult, I wish that I could read music. I wish that I had... Uh, stuck with it now with my 2020 hindsight, but I completely sympathize with my parents for like, no, like being like, you know, I, I don't, this is giving up sounds negative, but it's not. I like, I, I, I totally understand that because it's like, you know, they've, sunk their money into this thing. They sunk their time into trying to get me to do this thing. It's just not working. They're not, they're not getting the payoff. And so it's at a certain point, it's like, you just got to kind of shrug your shoulders. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I understand that. On the other hand, I, and maybe this is because I did a lot of work, uh, in counseling when I left my last job, um, just kind of like really, figuring out kind of like whose responsibility and things it were. And, and I guess that kind of like a lot of those conversations impacted how I think about how I thought about this stuff later when I learned that I have ADHD. And so I really like there's never been a part of me that has been angry with my parents or or anything like that, or even necessarily with the systems, because I really do believe that everybody was trying to do the best that they could with the knowledge that they had at the time. And again, because of, you know, ADHD being inherited and blah, 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 it's very easy now as, a, as an adult to recognize like, oh yeah, my dad almost certainly has ADHD. There's probably a lot of other family members, you know, that I'm not going to out on the show, but <laughs> I suspect it's, it's quite prevalent <laughs> in both sides of my bloodline. And so again, I, it, it, it became a lot easier for me to deal with those kinds of those perceived negative feelings or, or being let down when I understand it, like, oh, this person is probably going through the exact same thing too. And they, they're not even where I am yet. They, they probably don't even know this about themselves yet. And so, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's that, 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 you know, um, feeling, feeling let down is, is wrong. I'm just saying that like, I, yeah, I guess I have a different perspective on that stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think, you know, we can only do our best until we know better and then do better. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're around the same age. And so our parents just didn't know. And if they had ADHD when they were kids, their parents definitely didn't know. Yep. And, you know, so I, my hope is that, you know, by podcasts like yours and we're talking about it and it's more in mainstream and, you know, you can find a community on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, you know, and these you know, with podcasts talking about it, I think we're hopefully, you know, moving to a place where it just gives pause to think about the alternative and, you yeah. know, and question why are we so keen to, you know, be a certain way when we could just mm -hmm. celebrate or learn to, uh, I don't like take advantage of, you know, like the, the gift that is ADHD, if you can look at it <laughs> that way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, part yeah, of what there I'm, certainly are. Cool. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, um, part of what I'm doing right now is uh, working in consulting around accessibility. And something I've been saying over and over again, especially when it comes to cognitive disabilities and difference, is that like accessibility benefits everyone. So when you make a meeting accessible for a neurodivergent person or a deaf person, everyone else in that meeting benefits because when the conversations are going a bit slower, when the information is being shared in a way that everyone can understand, that's where the innovation happens. That's where the creativity happens because everyone feels understood and seen. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel so strongly about that because I think the old ways of doing things have forced everyone into boxes. And even the people that can fit into those boxes relatively easily aren't really benefiting that well, well, except for maybe a certain segment of the population that have always kind of benefited <laughs> from things being a certain way in the patriarchy. Yeah. But like they, they also can benefit too, because then they don't have to adhere to those sort of patriarchal macho norms. Like when, when everyone is being held in a space where they're seen and valued, like, the, like it, I think that can be nothing short of miraculous, whether it's in business or social settings. Like, I just think it's so important. Yeah. So I think it's good to be having that conversation, like when you're naming, like we don't, if we're not trying so hard to adhere to systems that are already broken and flawed and causing untold harms, then man, oops, I shouldn't say man, <laughs> dude, I don't know, whatever, but well, I mean, you get my point, yeah. Another kind of classic example of that stuff, um, you know, about about the patriarchy harming men too, is is so. Carlin, going back to your what you were talking about before about like, um, you know, uh, uh, binge eating and and relating that to ADHD. That's something that we've talked about on the show before, and actually, it's come up a few times lately. But that is that is something where I I believe that. Uh, eating disorders and specifically binge eating disorder is way higher in men than people realize. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's disproportionately uh, ADHD men. Um, that is, you know, binge eating, overeating, uh, that's stuff that I've struggled with since I was a little, little kid and still do. And, you know, like I, I'm three years sober now, which is great. Uh, and it is, no, sorry, you know what, two and a half. It's, it's three in August. Um, but it is so... It is. It was a million times easier to quit booze and quit drugs than it is to quit yeah. Big Macs. Like literally, it, it is. It is so much uh, uh, harder to deal with that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think that I think that men would benefit from talking about that kind of stuff uh, more and and being able to share their stories. But again, that's something where it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Really, dog? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so relatable. And yeah, like you, it's. I, I'm not going to say it's easy to give up booze, but you don't need booze to live, but you literally yep. cannot live without food. And, you know, when you mm -hmm. are, you know, when your brain gets used to getting a dopamine fix or, or you know, filling a void by eating something, you know, like, God, I've tried, but lettuce just doesn't do it. You know, the way a Big Mac does. Mm -hmm. And yeah. It's funny too how the binge eating stuff almost like, like, ADHD really kind of works against itself in several ways that I find funny. Cause like when I'm, when I'm most prone to that stuff is when, as a result of ADHD hyperfixations or whatever, I have not eaten all day. I, I just don't realize that I have not eaten all day and then I've got a commitment at four or something so that I can't eat. And then, you know, by the time it's seven o'clock or whatever and I'm done this thing, it's like, wow, I haven't eaten anything all day. And then I eat like two combos from yeah. Wendy's or something <laughs> like all at once, which is insane. But like, you know, that's that's 
it's it's it, there's kind of a, a rubber band effect um, uh, with with ADHD and appetite stuff that I think is really yeah. interesting. So absolutely, mm-hmm. it definitely affects my mood when I don't when I don't keep my because I'm also hypoglycemic, right? So when I get those mm-hmm. like nasty sugar crashes, it goes beyond hangry into something quite horrifying, um, which happened the other night. Actually, we were going to an event. We were going to see the Paul, Paul Stamets, the mushroom guy, and I realized like, oh shit, the way that I did this, I haven't eaten in six hours, and I'm going to be the hangriest person in this auditorium if we don't get something and my partner's looking at me with like horror because you know so badly it goes and so I was like walking up steps like eating this wrap thing just like like, I just couldn't couldn't not do it right and I can and he he brought it back to time management which for me is where it often ends up it's like oh I thought I had this window of time but then that half an hour disappeared because the other appointment I was at went late it started late and then it went late so then that half an hour I had to eat something was gone and I could have just had a power bar in my bag a friend of mine always used to say that to me always have a power bar or something in your bag because the way you get um because yeah it's for me it's like my whole personality <laughs> changes it's pretty nasty to be around me when I'm like that um and I think that Hart Kaplan actually brought up something interesting too when it comes to eating and ADHD. And it's a sensory thing, like crunchy foods for me, potato chips, cheesies. Like there's a certain specific kind of crunch that gives me like bliss. Yeah. Um, and I don't find it in lettuce. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it has to be like dill pickle chips or whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> lettuce is great, but it's just, I don't care what all the influencers say. It's not fucking satisfying. Yeah. It's got fiber. That's great. But oh my God. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so going back to something from before, uh, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned that like you've also developed a number of kind of non-medical coping skills. Uh, mm. So you talked about to-do lists. I assume that's still a big part of your your strategies. It is for me too. And I'm kind of curious what other like techniques you found uh, uh, work for yourself to help um, manage yeah, this Yeah, I think a big thing is always having a way to either whether it's my phone or a pen and paper because if I have a thought and I and I know that socially it's maybe not the time to shout it out I can just write it down because the fear of losing it is the thing that I would just want to like yell it out but maybe it's not the time um so being able to like either write something down and refer back to it or not sometimes I look back at it and I'm like well it wasn't that important and then I leave it but you know, writing it down, um, my phone's ability to remind me of things is truly a godsend because the amount of times I say, hey, S-I-R-I, I don't want to say it, she'll, she'll wake up, you know, remind me Wednesday at 3.10 p.m. that I need to remember to, you know, and that's really allowed me to get it out of my head and then forget it because I trust my device and I don't go anywhere without my phone. And... You know, so like setting reminders, writing things down, making lists. Um, Yeah, I think I'm trying to think what else do I do that's sort of and I think also that forgiveness aspect of like, I know the way that I clean a house, for example, or you know, probably would make some people crazy, but just sort of embracing the fact like this is how I do it. And it makes sense rather than constantly trying to like fight this, you know, urge um, to to do it another way because somehow that's the right, like quote unquote right way to do it. So yeah. I saw, um, I saw a discussion on Twitter a while ago that uh, really resonated for me, which was about, um, you know, kind of sharing responsibilities and things in romantic partnerships. And this idea that, uh, 
you are, of course, free to ask your partner to do whatever for you or for the household or whatever. But if you do that, you have no say in how it gets accomplished. Uh, and that is mm. that is a huge one for me that I absolutely love is like because that that is that is incredibly frustrating for me. And and in a specific instance, this isn't just with relationships, but this has happened with friends before, too, where, you know, I'll get a, a text that says like, you know, hey, we're going to this thing tonight. Uh, let's carpool. Can you drive? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then like we'll get on and then just start backseat driving. And it's like, do you want to walk? Because you're you're like about to walk here because you literally asked me to drive. Like I like I, I'm happy to do this, but you need to shut up then. You don't get to say Jack about how I drive unless I physically crash yeah. into something. Like and and yeah, I just I, I think that that's uh I think that's a really good it, it, it sounds maybe kind of silly, but I think it's actually a very healthy way to look at things is like we all have our way of doing things and there's no quote unquote right or wrong way to do things, especially not if you if you cede control by asking someone else yeah, to do the thing. I feel I'm learning this mm -hmm. in I'm you know, I didn't have kids by choice and I am a step parent to two kids and learning the art of asking them to do something and just appreciating that it's going to get done but just maybe not the way that i would have done it but it's still done and mm. celebrating that um yeah and i think too i was gonna say like fidget toys and keeping your hands busy like you have to find what works for you and yeah mm -hmm. you just have to have something like i have this little tiny piece of i don't know what this is it's like a little fabric <laughs> and it was from a dog toy maybe it was like the ear of a dog toy and it's like, it's the most <laughs> random thing, but I'm like obsessed with it. It's at my desk. And if I'm not, you know, like popping this little poppet, then I've got this little soft thing that I'm doing or I'll have a pen and I just doodle and it keeps mm -hmm. me focused. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm still using all of my old bad coping skills. I'm still, I've, I've either got my hands behind my back, twiddling my fingers together, which I'm doing right now, or else they're under the desk drumming on my knees, or else my legs are joggling back and forth, <laughs> or else I've got the pen, but I'm not doodling. I'm just clicking it. I'm like, click, yeah. click, 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 click. So that, that's, that's why I keep going into mute on here is, is cause I'm, 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 uh, uh, stimming in ways that will be audible on the recording. So uh, <laughs> I think that's very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I shoot. I had somewhere I was going to go with that. And now I have completely uh, uh, forgotten it. Um, <laughs> I will, I'm quite impressed that all three of us with ADHD are, I think we're staying pretty on task. I think so too. And, and honestly, the, the pen and paper thing has been huge for me. Oh, actually that's, yeah. So I remembered a couple things I was going to say. Um, so yeah, the, the, the pen and paper thing has been huge for me. And that's something that I actually now, when I, uh, so I, I started doing like some, uh, leadership and soft skills courses and things for like corporate and educational environments. And that's a big thing where like, you know, I, I explain that during, during the class, like, you know, I have ADHD and this is something that I use as a skill to cope because like, same thing. If I have a follow up question or I want clarification on something or I just I can relate to something, it is it takes so much of my energy not to just like, blah, this is me. Look, listen to me, 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 me. Um, but, you know, like having that like having those those lines of inquiry and having your brain's ability to go off down those tangents is a wonderful trait for an interviewer to have. 
interrupting with those things is a terrible trait for an interviewer to have. <laughs> and so I'm sure you can understand that. And so, yeah, that's something that I advocate for everyone, neurotypical or not, is to specifically take a, a pen and pad uh, to kind of track things that you want to bring up later when you're speaking to people. And the reason I say that instead of a phone is because if people see you looking at a phone while you're talking to them, they are going to assume that you're playing Candy Crush. Yeah. Uh, whereas <laughs> if it's a pen and paper, it's much more clear that you're actually engaged in the conversation. Um, and then, shoot, what was the other part I was going to bring up? Uh, it was something related to children. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, so you're talking about alternative high schools before. Um, and that is, again, something that when I'm doing uh, teaching work, work with young people, it's always treat them as adults, not in the sense of like throw whatever sort of content at them, but like in this room, you are adults. You need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. You need to mm. uh, make a phone call, check your email, leave the classroom and do that. You need to do whatever. Just just do it like, you you know, you get out of these classes what you put into them. But I also understand that that's a completely different scenario when it's a uh, um, something that that people are doing in their free time and, and choosing to spend their money on time on versus, you know, a place that they are mandated to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like I think that those I think that that kind of approach to dealing with kids is the best approach. I think it's 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 good to treat them like adults in that sort of capacity. Uh, I think you get way better response and and uh, better communication, but it really is only something that can happen in a, a relatively small environment. As soon as you get a, a, like over 10 kids or something like that, and then it's like, yeah, just do whatever, do your thing, you're all adults. It can be way harder to keep that on track. And so like, I get why, you know, I, I get why all schools aren't like that, but I am glad that there are places that do advocate for that kind of learning because I think it really is like the best approach if it's available. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I forgot to say, so Jordan and I went to an alternative high school that mm. was learn at your own pace. And like, I, it shows that if I look back at high school, you know, you, you could basically show up you had to show up and check in and then you were responsible for doing your work at your own pace and, you know, booking tests when you were ready. And sometimes there were like a, uh, like classes that you had to go to and listen to a lecture, but you know, it explains why halfway through my second year of high school, I had completed all of psychology, English, social drama, you know, like I, everything <laughs> that was interesting to me, I flew through. And then by the end of grade 12, when I should have been graduating, I hadn't even started math and I hadn't even started <laughs> science. And so yep. I had to do the famous Bishop Carroll fourth year. And then I had a whole year of where I had to do like the it was just like that school was not set up for somebody with ADHD. And, you know, mm -hmm. I still I loved high school. It was the greatest time. I would do it over again in a heartbeat. Uh, but yeah, it would like, yeah, that really presented itself I think with ADHD I remember grounding because I went to Wisewood I went to Wisewood and um for Islam but at the grounding kids like could always come and visit us whenever the hell they wanted like for yeah. lunch and stuff because it was just like eh, I don't really have to do anything today I'll you know I got my homework <laughs> done I'll just come over and smoke cigarettes with you guys in the smoke pit yeah and I was like wow that sounds so dreamy but I, that just would have been horrible for me <laughs> Yeah, I, I very much relate. Same thing. All the subject that I was interested in just knocked them out real, real fast. And then, yeah, just like I, I did not have to do a fourth year, but I did have to go to uh, Viscount Bennett to mm. uh, take math and chem a second time. No, math and bio a second time till I passed them. Because, uh, yeah, I'd... 
Math and science were not at all my strong suits. It's so funny. You were talking about, you know, how you your career plans were derailed by realizing you needed pre-calc. Same thing was just like, you know, classic, classic kid idea of like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And then <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, you mean I have to I have to be good at science? Mm. I have to pass organic chem to do this? Like, this is impossible. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I think I think that you're right. I think that. Um, you know what? Actually, I don't know. I, I think that it could have been a good school for people with ADHD with just a bit more structure than we had then. Yeah. As, as I understand it, there's more structure now. I think maybe it could work now. Uh, but yeah, it was just like, I think that that sort of system could work with the addition of, you know, someone who's a little bit more kind of on top of us and making sure that we're actually doing the thing and not, oh, I don't know, sitting in the cafeteria playing paper football all day long. Not that that's what I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, something that can't work, but I think that there's it just needs just just that extra little bit of structure, that extra little bit of encouragement and uh, keeping people honest. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of structure, you know what I'm going to remind us of that we're at the hour mark and you know how I am about oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, do you have other questions that you wanted to... to I don't have any specifics. Uh, Carling, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, specifically cover? No, I just think it's the... Your podcast topic is so important and relevant and I'm so thankful that you have these conversations because it, yeah, we just need it. Oh, I'm going to mute. My dogs are going to bark. That's okay. <laughs> um, actually, when, once you're done um, muting, Carling, well, maybe you could drop some of the some of the links where people can find you on social media. I know you just got grew your TikTok audience, and I know you're not going to go live on TikTok, but people <laughs> might want to follow you there before it gets banned in North America. Um, and um, and yeah, where, where else maybe they could find you on socials and stuff? Yeah, you bet. And basically, anywhere on social, if you look up, I did not sign up for this. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but I don't understand it. So it's not <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> and TikTok. And I don't know, I'm being encouraged to go live. We'll see what happens. Um, it's like this fear of rejection, like what if nobody comes or I get bullied? Um, and, I feel your pain. Yeah. And then, yeah, anywhere you get your podcast, just look up. I did not sign up for this. And we've I've got over 160 some episodes. So, wow. yeah, lots to binge on. Awesome. Well, all of those links will be in the description, of course. And uh, yeah, you know, if you, if you want to have a story on about a couple of people that discovered they have ADHD in their adult life, uh, you feel free to drop us a line. Yeah, that would <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love that. Excellent. Well, um, thank you again so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your time and your story. And uh, yeah, make sure to check out I Did Not Sign Up for This wherever you get your finer podcasts. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Carling. Thank and you. thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, Subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now, and hyper-focus on the positive. <laughs>